Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Jim? Hi, Catherine. Hey. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. When we last talked, it was like, yay, winter solstice, which you were really excited about. And the vaccines are coming. Things are, we're just like, the, the worst is over. And then in the interim couple of weeks, it feels like the vaccine rollout has gone not well. Um, uh, this is just for me sort of scanning news reports. What's, what's going on with the vaccine? Mm. We were hearing these targets pretty widely that we would get tens of millions of people vaccinated by the end of the year. Um, I think there was a target at the end of the year was 40 million back in October, and then that came down to 20 million, and ultimately we got to 3 million people. 3 million. And and that's just one shot, right? Yeah, which 3 million is, people are half vaccinated? Which, I mean, yes, that's a lot, but, like, how did we get that far yeah, off? Yeah, it's less than 1% of the population. Uh, it's amazing, and yet it's also... that could seem like the trajectory is significantly altered if we're, you know. Yeah, if we're going at that pace, I, I think I saw some, you know, tweet or something that was like, at this pace, it'll take a hundred years to vaccinate, you know, something. I think, yeah, I mean, that's terrible. That's uh, probably not accurate, but like it would take well, a long I, time. Whatever the tweet said. It, it would alter this idea of, I, I know uh, Biden's administration has nodded to getting a hundred million people in the first hundred days vaccinated. That doesn't seem possible at all at this sort of rate. Right. So it's seeming a little worse than I had hoped, but worse than I had hoped. <laughs> That's the tagline for <laughs> for this whole time. <laughs> it, well, it, I don't fully understand exactly what the issues are and how remediable they are, and how yeah. It, yeah. if we can really catch up to that. Right. Like, is this is this just like some glitches right now in getting things set up, or is this somehow an ominous? premonition of ongoing terribleness yeah because that would obviously radically change the course of like this coming this whole coming year basically right right for that far behind uh, i would like to talk to someone who knows more about it obviously mm -hmm. than us mm -hmm. but we are going to talk to juliette kayam she is the faculty chair of the homeland security program at harvard's kennedy school before that she worked as an assistant secretary for homeland security under president obama she worked with responses to disasters, including H1N1 pandemic. And is she has she been working on the vaccine rollout? Yeah, I think this is it's right up her alley. She's been helping to advise and monitor the progress, mm -hmm. but has not been working within the federal government. Okay, so she's like a consultant for various yeah. entities. And an the, academic. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, but before that, I would like to call a listener who wrote in with a personal question that bears on this. Okay. Uh, who's the listener? His name is Craig. Mm -hmm. His name is Craig, and he is a data scientist in Lexington, Kentucky. Okay, do Hey, Craig. This is Jim. Hi, Jim. Hello. Um, hey, Craig. Hi, Catherine. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the show. I think I've listened to every episode. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you for writing to us, too. Yeah. It's a question I've been I've been struggling with, and I'm not really sure how to answer it. And I don't know. Hopefully, you can help. And I assume it's something a lot of people are dealing with. Yeah, I think so. 
So yeah, what's going on? So um, my father has uh, recently been diagnosed with late stage cancer. Um, his prognosis is somewhat uncertain, but not particularly promising. So I feel like I need to travel to see him. I live several hundred miles away. Um, and I'd like to spend some time with him before his health deteriorates too far. Bring his grandchildren to see him, to spend some time with him. Yeah. You know, because time is literally running out, right? But of course, with the pandemic and, you know, traveling is, is a huge concern. And so I think my specific question for you is whether or not it is realistic to think that with vaccines starting to roll out, are travel conditions likely to improve in the next few months? So for me to be able to weigh the risks of traveling now versus waiting a few months, you know, are, are, are conditions likely to improve? What's realistic to expect? Yeah. I'm real sorry to hear that, Craig. That's you. Thank you. Uh, I'm sure that's really difficult to be going through right now. And so I don't think that travel for the average person is going to be different. If you're in a group that's going to get vaccinated, it might be slightly lower risk for you to travel. But we still have not vaccinated many people and we're not going to be at some sort of critical mass that's going to change the general risk of going out in, in public. Uh, you know, if you take a, you know, transportation to the, to the airport or people you might encounter in the airport or on the flight are going to be unlikely to be vaccinated. And we're still seeing cases rise across the country. There's still really high levels. And I don't see that, you know, significantly declining between now and April. So I don't think it will be a different situation then. Craig, can I ask you a little bit more about yourself? Uh, sure. I'm just curious uh, who you are. Well, uh, I'm Craig. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I live in Lexington, Kentucky. I work as a data scientist. Um, I started working from home about nine months before everyone else did. I took a job last July where I started mm. working from home. Mm-hmm. So I kind of lucked out in that respect. So you had your, you know, back support or whatever all set up by the time that uh, that March rolled around? Yes, my my standing desk in mm-hmm. uh, the office that I built for myself out in the garage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had that all set up uh, just in time. And then you got a dog before the pandemic. So you were like way ahead of the curve. Yeah, we got a dog uh, a couple months. It was like it was November, I think. And I got a I remember I got a new kitten in March and I remember it being like possibly the last time that I went somewhere in public without a mask. Mm -hmm. I think because we, you know, we were, you know, it's just the timing. We were, we had already planned to get the kitten and right. (laughs) Yeah. We picked her up. And uh, so, yeah. And uh, how many kids do you have? Can I, uh, you you feel free to share or not share whatever level of detail you want, but I'm curious. I have two kids, uh, age 10 and 8, both uh, girls who are pretty awesome. We also homeschool our children and have for years. And so another way. Oh, my God. You you were totally (laughs) set up. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I I say that uh, my life probably changed less than almost anyone else because of the pandemic. I already worked from home. My kids were already homeschooled. We just got our pets. Right, right. Foresight. So you're in Kentucky. Where is your father? Uh, Delaware. 
Delaware. That's a big distance. Have Have you seen your father since this all started? When's the last time you, you saw him? We did take a trip in summer of 2020. That was like the one time I left the house during the pandemic. We spent a week at my parents' house. So I did see him in the summer, yes. But and that, of course, was before his current diagnosis. Right. Um, which sort of changes a lot of the yeah. calculus. How'd y'all go during the summer? What was your... Uh, we drove. Mm-hmm. It's uh, about eight to ten hours in the car. Yeah. But um, we do a lot of driving in my family. We do a lot of driving, especially to uh, national parks, uh, is one of our most, is our most common vacations. So... 10 hours in the car, even with my kids, is not a huge deal. Oh, my God. I Catherine loves parks. I love driving to national parks also. What's your favorite national park? Um, either Yellowstone or Everglades. Mm, Everglades, good one. Good one. I mean, Yellowstone, obviously good, but yeah. everybody thinks about Different. Yellowstone. Exactly. The alligators, terrifying. My daughter was walking down a a paved trail and yet found still found herself about five feet away from an adult alligator who was just lounging on the side of the trail and no one oh noticed it God. until she was it's right next to it and screamed. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really a whole thing. And it didn't move. It didn't care. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. So you're, what you're trying to figure out is not a flying versus driving question. It's a, it's just a visiting at all question. Oh, what I'd like to do is drive out there. And the, the driving, I don't feel all concerned about. Um, it's more that, you know, once we go, we will, you know, I'd like to basically spend a, a week just in the house, in my parents' house, which would then, you know, basically me living with them unmasked, basically joining bubbles, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. Um, Got it. And so, you know, we are, my family has been, you know, extremely careful. I do almost never leave the house. I work from home, you know, I, I, I never, and so, and my parents had been, extremely careful but now they're at doctor's offices multiple times a week right and my mother has to go with him too right so you know i feel like i really am being about as careful as a person can be so i don't think it's a huge risk for me to to bring it to them the most likely thing probably would be then you know us to pick it up from my mother and father who are constantly i mean at doctor's offices that seems like a great place to pick it up since you're around sick people my mother-in-law um, had COVID. She was one of the very first cases, and she picked it up oh, at wow. a doctor's office, right? Yeah. I should hope that at this point in the pandemic, though, that the medical facility would be equipped and the, the staff trained to be able to see people safely. I mean, if anyone's going to have the highest quality masks and understand and think about transmission of disease, it should be there. I'm not saying that I know that to be the case with every office sure but there should be places that if you're you know if your parents are not feeling comfortable or feeling like they're being put at risk in any of those places that you know i would go someplace else um sure sure i would also imagine that i'm also hoping i guess that that healthcare professionals would be among the first to be vaccinated so that the people that they are interacting with would be more likely to be yes in a, in a month or two's time you know or even in March, April timeframe, they would be more likely uh, to, to to be vaccinated, be around a lot of vaccinated people when they're at doctor's offices. Right, right. It's necessary to get medical care. This is a these are systems that are designed to help treat people and have been dealing with this pandemic f- for a while. And 
it should be able to be done safely. So I would think you'd be at higher risk in a place where there are blind spots. Like if you were going to, um, I don't know, get a, get a massage or get your haircut or something. And, it, you know, they're not used to dealing with sick people and not, they're assuming people are not infectious and people might just kind of let their guard down. And in the doctor's office, it really should be like, we're going to assume everyone here is infectious and follow those protocols accordingly. That makes a lot of sense. So we can't put your mind totally <laughs> at ease. Um, but everything that you know you're talking about, these are all relative trade-offs, right? And it sounds yes. this is not. Um, I mean, I absolutely do not recommend elective travel right now. But there are always exceptions to that. So what's the answer, Jim? The answer is that if your family is doing. Your absolute best. I mean, really, genuinely isolating, traveling as safely as possible, and your parents are doing the same. It's not going to be a zero risk proposition. But you know, it sounds like this is a a serious condition. You don't know how much time your father has left. Um, mm -hmm. That if everyone is in agreement, um, that it would be better to take that risk than to not see each other. <laughs> also because you're able, you know, you homeschool your kids, you're able to work from home. Your parents are able to stay home and not expose other people. It becomes a more complex thing if they, if someone in your, as you merge these pods, someone else was gonna be, you'd be spreading into the public. The worst case scenario here, it sounds like you would have transmission within your family and that's low risk, but even then it would stop there. And that makes it more of a, a decision that you can make as a family. Yeah, I understand that you can't make this decision for me. <laughs> uh, and I, I guess for me, it's just, it, it is about balancing risks. I understand that. And so I guess what I'm just trying to really understand is, you know, kind of what the risks are and if there is any benefit for waiting, you know, short amounts of time, right? A month or two or three, or you know, um, if, if, conditions might be significantly different then that could have an impact on so i think you know i think i'll certainly will be going soon but i have flexibility on when yeah right. so i'm trying to understand that and so i think you know i think what you're telling me is that in terms of the first half of this year there's probably not a huge difference um, in terms of when probably in which case we should probably just be as careful as we can be and and, and yeah do our best this is where it's impossible because as a infectious disease prevention, you know, from that perspective, all I can say is no, don't go because you, there is a chance of spreading disease from the, the perspective of, you know, a human and someone who understands the importance of emotional and psychological well-being of uh, this sort of scenario. The answer is, of course, you go. <laughs> um, and so you're somewhere balancing those two, <laughs> those two things. I, th yep. I think just just you know, be as safe as possible. But I think you'd be totally justified in uh, making the decision to go. Okay. Well, that, that's, that's extremely helpful. Craig, I don't know if this interests you, but we're actually, your, your question has inspired us in part to talk to an expert today. So we're um, actually calling an expert to get some more detail about you know, what the, the next six months are going to look like and why the vaccine rollout is kind of going the way it is. You're welcome to join us. We're we're about to hop on the call with her. Would you like to join? You'd be welcome to listen in and ask a question if you want. 
Also no obligation <laughs> at all. Oh, sure. I, I could do that. Okay. Well, yeah, we're hoping to get a little more detail because right now it just feels so hard to figure out when are things going to get better. So hopefully this conversation will will provide us a little bit um, yeah. of clarity about that. But I think Jim's recommendation stands. Hey, Juliet. Hi, how are you? Hi. Hi, this is Catherine. And this is Jim. Nice to meet you. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Jim. Of course. No, I'm thrilled. Uh, and we have also with us Craig, who is a listener from, from Lexington, Kentucky. Oh, great. He's a data analyst. Data scientist. Close Sorry. enough. Hi, Craig. <laughs> Hi, Craig. <laughs> nice to talk to you. Craig is a data scientist with uh, a dog and a cat, two daughters. Oh, great. Hi, Craig. Hello. So you had to coordinate uh, planning between federal, state, local governments mm -hmm. for issues of disasters, including those involving health, like the H1N1 pandemic. So yeah. uh, planning vaccine rollout like this is, is right up your alley. Yeah. And we're hoping you can kind of explain to us uh, how this is supposed to work, what's happening right now, what's not working, and yeah. what needs to change. And, and it's a hard conversation to have because the more you explain why a lot of this does look familiar in terms of the delays and the course corrections and the, you know, ramping up over time, it seems like you don't, one, someone like me is not aware of, uh, you know, the fact that time is of the essence. We are acutely aware of it. I should disclose that since June, I've been helping state and local entities as well as uh, non-manufacturers in the private sector, so those in logistics and movement in this. So the idea that there's been no planning, you know, these sweeping generalizations just, you know, are it's just not true. That uh, and, and so people need to separate what Trump and the White House has failed to do and what, uh, what we're seeing on the local and state level. So just very quickly, uh, we're seeing a little bit of what we anticipated, which is this is really hard. It's really big. Numbers are not clear. Supply and demand are off depending on where you look. So some places are plowing through their stuff. Others seem to have stuff uh, waiting. Uh, data systems are falling apart. Phone lines aren't being answered. Once again, I'm not forgiving, but all of this seems in the fixable realm. Yeah. Um, and the solutions, like people say, the federal government needs to take control, the military needs to, none of that would work. And it shows a real lack of understanding of crisis management. That you, you want a public health emergency to be intimate, to be local, to be uh, able to pivot based on what, you know, what we're seeing on the ground. And uh, the feds are absolutely necessary. And the Trump administration did fall behind in terms of uh, providing support and money and best practices and even resources. That will change on the 20th. And so, you know, I, I'm reluctant to mess with the science and the protocols, one dose, two dose, half a dose, until we can really see what the problem is. Uh, and so that's sort of where it is. And I'm not forgiving it. I'm just trying to describe it. Right. Could I ask a sort of basic question from a yeah. layperson's perspective? Um, yeah. And my dog is having a nightmare in the background. That's, That's what's fine. happening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how would you describe how the rollout is going? Yeah. Like, is this going well? Oh, no. I mean, I think it depends on, you know, no. But is it inexcusable 
that's where I won't go yet. Like, in other words, there's lots and lots of challenges. And I'm seeing, as, as I'm sure people monitoring different places are seeing different things at different places. So one is that it was the holidays. I know it drives people crazy when, when we say that, but you know, the, the authorizations for use sort of happen right before holidays. That's always, you know, a difficult time to, to ramp things up in terms of initiation. So we want to wait for, you know, seven to 10 days in January to see if the numbers are ratcheting up. So, so that was always going to be a challenge. The other is the allocations were off. And so states were told certain things, and uh, only got sort of half allocation. So they're just going to have to reconfigure who comes in first based on these allocation waves. Uh, in some places, uh, they thought for if they're an allocation one, say they thought first come first serve would be good, not because they want old people to sit outside for eight hours. It's because uh, they were really worried about vaccine hesitation. So they thought, okay, let's just do first come first serve, get it into people's arms and then uh, get those who are more reluctant in later. That ended up not being a good idea. Uh, and some of it is just data management issues and uh, data, you know, buildup issues, things crash, information is not shared. And then finally, a personnel issue. We got to go 24-7. We have to get uh, nimbleness. Uh, and that's where the new money will likely go. There's about $9 billion that was just authorized. There'll probably be more under the Biden administration. Uh, that should go to bodies, just bodies, just get people able to process bodies to help the processing of vaccine distribution. So living people, living people. Um, and then I think the final thing is when I look into the end of January and early February, I think we can't quite grasp how game changing, if it works, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine will be because that's an old school vaccine, single dose, no cold storage necessity. And you'll start to see this look a little bit like you know, the flu vaccine where we can walk into CVS and Walgreens. All of it takes time. All of it will have its blips and, and course corrections, but it is going to look better because I've seen it start like this before and then things get worked out. But hopefully not like the flu vaccine in that only 50% of people choose to right. get it. Right. That's, that's the thing I worry the most about is the vaccine hesitation. The data since Trump lost in, in November, it was clear some of that data was capturing an anti-Trump sentiment. So I'm sure you and I and a bunch of us have friends uh, that that, uh, that were probably uh, you know more skeptical than they would have been. So that, that data has changed and it's showing about 40% are really, really excited. And then the next 40% are excited, but they don't want to be first. And that that I think we should take to heart because those are communities, in particular minority communities that you can work with um, in terms of, you know, having influencers or, or you know, uh, making sure that they're seeing that the vaccine is working. Ooh, you mentioned influencers. That's one of my interesting questions. So we're not doing influencers right now, but we yeah. might in the future. Yeah, exactly. Jim kind of wishes he were an influencer. You could be. I oh, feel really? like you I feel like be. you oh, have. That's, yeah, that's the yeah. nicest thing anyone has ever said to me. I don't know if you know this, but someone made fun of him on TikTok, which I thought was like <laughs> a level when I was on air with him this weekend, and I thought that was like a level of coolness because I've never been on TikTok before. So the fact. Oh my I god! Can you explain? It. Can you explain to me what happened? Because I'm behind, and I'd so really, we like, a, making fun of Jim is one of my favorite hobbies. <laughs> so we were on a. Uh, 
uh, uh, Brian Seltzer's show, Reliable Sources on CNN, and and uh, and uh, we were talking about the rollout, and I'm talking, so I should be mad at you, and I'm talking, and Jim's eyes sort of go like are sort of like wandering, like either WTF is she saying, or I'm bored. You know, out of my mind. Jim has sort of a resting, like, face of despair. Yeah. So that's what he said. So someone put it on TikTok with the caption, uh, this looks like a guy who thinks he showed up at the wrong Zoom meeting. Um, And so I I think, Jim, you defended yourself and saying that was your resting thinking face. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, first of all, I couldn't see... I, I couldn't see that I was on screen because you were talking to Brian and I didn't know yeah. I should be on screen while you two are talking. And then also... Jim, it's like you've never been on TV before. <laughs> like, this is how it works. People who are really good at TV hits like that, like, come in knowing what they're going to say. And I just respond to whatever the yeah. question is. And I don't know what the question is going to be, so I'm kind of listening to where the conversation is going and thinking really actively. And I don't know how to also do that while staring into the camera and pretend like my eyes start to wander. I, I get in my head. Anyway, your points were very, you know, you wouldn't be here if we didn't think that you exactly absolutely you. knew what you were talking about. So right, I'm sorry if right. I was saying but that offense. I want to thank you for, for me being on TikTok, though, because I do believe that was my first time. So, Craig, are you on TikTok? Um. No, I am not on TikTok, and my children are not old enough to be on TikTok, so I don't know anything about it. Do you think Jim could like should aspire to be an influencer or no? <laughs> uh, uh, well, my wife is extremely jealous. She told me she has a crush on you, Jim. Actually. <gasps> oh my god! So, oh my god. so oh I think man. so. Yeah, but that's that's a data point in in favor of influencer. Oh my god, his head's <laughs> gonna get so god. big. This is so oh my god, I can imagine it now. <laughs> It's the the men of the men of COVID calendar. Sanjay Gupta, Jim. Yeah, you know, who else can we put? I on there feel physically for- my sick to my stomach. <laughs> Tony um, Fauci. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's move on. I I apologize for for even bringing this up. <laughs> so Craig had called us with a question, and he he's he would like to visit a family member, and one of the things he's trying to figure out is just like when are things going to get better, and you know I'm sure there are many many caveats but can you give us a picture of like what is going to happen in the next six months are things going to get better i think the the kind of confusion of the early rollout has made us feel like oh well wait we thought we were going to be out of this soon and it feels Mm -hmm. like maybe not so yeah lay out the next six months for us so I, I'm going to begin with me because this this is the girlfriend metric because all my girlfriends ask me about this I do have plans to travel abroad um, in August. So I'm feeling like the world will start to move well before then, unless something happens. And, you know, to your point, Craig, it's very dependent on two criteria. One is that we get more money to the states and localities under the Biden plan, which I think we'll do. And the other is that more vaccines are authorized. I mentioned Johnson and Johnson. I do not work for them. Trust me. I just like, I like what I see. Okay, normal-ish this summer. Do we have any understanding of like what happens between now and normal-ish? Or is it really hard to say? Are there just too many variables to say like, will things be better in X state or for Mm. X type of person by March or April? Yes. So I think for the high-risk pools and the high potential infection pools, so that's your first responders. And I'm a big proponent of the critical infrastructure and teachers uh, going first in line as well. I think life will be very different. I th- and, and look, we're already at Britain. 
is a little bit ahead of us, but they're already at their second shot. Those those first people that you saw getting vaccinated, remember that great day in December, they're now in early December, they're now at their second shot. So this can happen relatively quickly so long as we keep up manufacturing and supply. So I think you'll start to hear states, remember this is all run locally and statewide, the feds have a role, but but each state is gonna be different depending on. So this is why like someone over 65 might be able to get it in X state, but yes, yeah, in it'll Florida, be months, there were people who were like, but- if you wait overnight outside the pharmacy, you can get it. And in other states, yeah. there's like first responders who don't have it yet. Right. Uh, yeah, and you and you and I think a new administration will tighten that up. Um, I mean, look, we, we've gotten nothing from this president on this on the on the rollout. Um, and he's been I busy. Th- he's been very busy. But in terms of the vaccine rollout, since it's being driven by the states, how much does the federal government matter? Like, how much is a new administration really yeah. going to be able to change anything? Oh, a, a lot, and and relatively quickly. So, in crisis management, we say lo- the locals execute, the states coordinate, and then the federal government supports. But that support is a is a check, like cash. Yeah, cash. Okay. We just need to. Yeah, it is just. It's a lot of resources are needed so that uh, we can pay a bunch of people to or volunteer. But even you know, setting up volunteer corps takes money because you have to train them. I mean, you know, in other words. I know lots of people want to help, but all of the infrastructure costs money. And so that's what you're going to see. And, and that can move, I want to tell you, that can move relatively quickly. And the reason why, and why I'm against the feds overtaking it or the military, whatever silly things you hear, is because there's already an infrastructure that we can plug into that you could put more resources into that begins at the local level, you know, for the private sector with CVSs and Walgreens and stuff. So uh, it's not ideal. We wish that this had all been done three months ago, but I mean, what do we, what do we expect from this president? So I have not changed my time frame, despite what we're seeing, you know, everyone like me who looks at this stuff and works it, you know, is going to look at the data this coming Monday, the 11th, and then the 18th. And if, if you're not seeing uh, significant changes in numbers, then maybe the structure is off. But there's nothing, nothing I'm or hearing from people who are also looking like Fauci and, and people at the CDC that suggests we can't get those numbers up. Craig, is this is this helpful? Does this answer your question? So I think it definitely sounds like the answer is summer is is really when we can expect things to get better. Uh, for my personal situation, as I said, I think that may be too long, mm-hmm. um, and so. It's telling me maybe that I, I I can't wait and that there's not much of a difference between January or February or March. Yeah. Don't think of it as a light switch, though. So when I say summer as normalish, I mean, you know, you're going to feel like it's 2019 in many ways. I mean, in other words, you will go to restaurants. You'll if you have the vaccine, we're going to have identification systems that, you know, either apps or cards that show that you're uh, protected. We're going to have faster. tests. So so I think between March and June right? Because this is a rolling recovery. As more people get vaccinated, the safer it is because you're starting to get towards uh, herd immunity. So don't think of it of a light switch this summer. I think you'll feel life is different in the post-winter phase. But even if I'm weighing risks, um, Mm -hmm. so I don't feel like I can wait until even uh, May going, but going visiting him in March for even versus now, what you're telling me is there will be a progression Right. And that the risks will be getting lower, even waiting now to, you know, end of February, mid-March, those types of time frames. 
the more time yeah. I can wait, probably the better the pandemic will be. Yes. Well, they should be getting better. But it, it, the, the vaccines are going to be wider spread. But like you were saying, Julia, if, if people start to get complacent, if we don't wear masks and distance, you, you, we could still see rates rising. Mm-hmm. And that would actually mean it, if your family is outside of that pool of available vaccinations, you don't want to travel in February as opposed to now if rates are actually higher in February. So there's variables here. I'm fully aware that none of this is certain. (laughs) At this point, I need to make plans and weigh risks. Yeah. Um, And so I'm just trying to find the best way to weigh weigh the risks. It it does sound like that the most probable outcome is that as vaccines start to get rolled out really and, you know, heavily in in February, really. Right. Mm -hmm. Then that's that's good for the case counts going down, meaning that my risk of infection continues to get lower it should if it should if not if not a lot it doesn't go for you know maybe it doesn't even draw <laughs> right drop 50 but it goes down some amount yeah and that's and that's how yeah. to think of it as a rolling is that you know each day you're going to be adding to that uh risk reduction uh not only because of what you're doing but because of what's happening out in the community so i know you want to visit your desert specifically and i think that that will look very different in, in march and april for you okay well thank you Thank you. Good luck. Thanks. I'm now totally fixated on the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. Good. That's what, good. That's what this conversation has done for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. It is something there's lots, there's lots to look forward to. Um, and so just, you know, if we can just get out of the sweeping generalizations. Right. Right. It's not, things are going to be terrible or yeah, no plan. No plan. Or, yeah, exactly. Right. right. It's like, it's like, we all start talking uh, like we're Trump. We'll get, we'll get those sweeping generalizations out. Well, none of us are really good at, um, well, I won't speak for you. Patience, I'm yeah. not very good at the, the in-between, which is what yeah. this whole time is like a forcing mechanism for. And yeah. what Craig's trying to do is just balance these like risks I guess data, uh, Craig, though, you're a data scientist. Like this, this is your, yeah. I, yeah. you should, you would be better prepared than most, I assume, to weigh these risks. Yeah, I was trained as an astrophysicist, actually. So yeah, in my head, I, I'm creating mental probability curves and multiplying them in my head. Like that's, that's how I think. Yeah, um, I have no idea so what you're talking about, but it sounds right. <laughs> but to I'm me, that nodding. makes sense. It's just under, I just want to understand the shape of the risk yeah. curve, right, over time is really what I'm trying to get. Um, right, right. To do, and if I understand that, that really helps me make decisions. Right. Yeah. Cool. The risk curve is bending down. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you. Thank you again uh, for spending your time talking to us, and uh, and we'll stay on it and look look forward to staying on uh, the news of new vaccines too. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Juliet. See you on TV soon. Bye. Yeah, see, and on and TikTok and TikTok. Come on. And work on your face, Jim. (laughs) Bye. Bye. See you guys later. Bye. Was that helpful? Did it give you a little more detail? Yeah, I think so. I think the main point too of not thinking of it like a light switch is a is a super important one. Right. Um, It's not yeah, totally. I feel like that was something that was a realization early in the pandemic, just in terms of like we kept being like, when is this going to be over? <laughs> and it was like, no, it's not like that. It's not just regular life is not just going to come back one day. Um, I think that's a lesson we have to continually relearn. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to. <laughs> um, 
Craig, I am really sorry to hear about your dad. I I know that you are not alone in facing these kinds of decisions. And please let us know if we can be helpful in any other way. And, and I hope you get to see your father soon. All right. Well, thank you for spending. I mean, I got to specifically talk to a bunch of experts. Uh, really appreciate that. And I also just will say, I think, you know, the show is fantastic. It certainly helps me deal with all the uncertainty around the pandemic. I'm sure it's helping a lot of people. Thank you. That's really nice. It definitely helps me. (laughs) (laughs) So I hope I'm glad it's helpful to other people too. Um, Well, good luck, Craig, and keep us posted. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. This show was produced today by Kevin Townsend. Thank you, Kevin. We also have a senior producer, AC Valdez, who has recently joined us and is helping us out on this. You can write us at social distance at theatlantic.com, just as Craig did, and we will hopefully be able to help. And you can also call us and leave a voicemail at 202-642-6487. One quick thing. um, We had a listener call in to that number and say that it was her birthday today. She was asking what she could do for her birthday. I, There are no good answers, but I will say I just wanted to say happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday. She didn't leave her name, but uh, whoever you are, mystery listener, happy birthday. And happy 100 episodes, Catherine. Can you believe that you had to talk to me 100 times? I mean, I feel it in my bones, but uh, a lot of phone calls. Yeah, but we had a uplifting episode today. And next week, I can uh, talk about how that could be complicated by uh, the mutations that you're hearing about. Is what you're trying to tell me that we'll have to talk a hundred more times? <laughs> uh, in seriousness, um, thanks for talking to me a hundred times. Thank you for letting me talk. And I'm you kidding. Say, Thank, you, Thank you for talking you to me. <laughs> All right. Uh, If you like this show and want to access all of The Atlantic's journalism, the best way to do that is by subscribing to The Atlantic at theatlantic.com slash support us, where you can read Jim's journalism, Juliet's journalism, many, many other people's journalism that is helping us stay informed throughout this whole thing. Thank you for listening. And talk to you later, Jim. Talk next week. Yep. All right. Bye. Bye. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between, like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly. How much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.